You're listening to What I Know from Inc. Magazine. I'm Christine Legorio Chapkin. Today's episode Connect Your Heart and Your Head. There's a certain type of entrepreneur who simply seems to have been destined to start a company. We've heard from so many founders on this show whose entrepreneurial awakening began when they were just kids. There was Neil Blumenthal's perhaps ill-conceived childhood dried fruit venture and Rich Kleiman's kid lawyer scheme. But it takes more than an itch to do it yourself and build something from scratch. It takes... As today's guest, Eric Kanariwala says, a connection of both heart and head. In other words, before starting a venture, you need to be all in. Eric was one of those people who seemed destined to start a company. Much of his early life, his education, his early jobs seemed to set him on the path to found the company Capsule, a straight-to-your-door pharmacy. For one, his mother was an entrepreneur. In fact, she's still going strong at 70. Eric grew up with CNBC on the television, and it was his interest in tech that led him to his first adolescent venture. It's kind of funny. I was never, I wasn't the kid that had a lemonade stand. Uh, that wasn't like my thing, but it's almost funny when you look in retrospect. But the first thing that I did was I was always like really interested in computers. And so I was kind of the kid that would like take apart the computer and then. Like my parents would walk into the room and there would be this mess of parts and then try to put it back together. But I, and I didn't realize it was called this at the time, but during what I now know was like the first internet boom, uh, I had this small business where I would basically make websites for small business entrepreneurs uh, that you know had physical presences and were trying to understand how they could transition their businesses online and kind of without knowing it, sort of just got really immersed in uh, in computers and technology and, and, and all of those things. And so was, um, was like, that was kind of the first life lesson, I think, in, in just being an entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's the same, same story as Alexis Ohanian, one of the founders of Reddit, you know, creating websites for other, other folks, uh, as a first business is a great education. Um, and speaking of education, you had a fairly, what I've come to think of as a fairly straightforward path to entrepreneurship through the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania to an MBA from Stanford. Were you, were you on the hunt for a company to start when you were in school, once, you know, once there and once you were employed after school, or had you tried anything else prior to founding Capsule? I think it's so hard to search for a company to start. And I, what, I've, what I've learned and what I really believe, and maybe one of the lessons along the way has been, I think your head and your heart really have to align uh, to jump off the cliff, so to say, to immerse your whole energy and your whole, your kind of whole body and being into being an entrepreneur. And I think that the head part of it is, you know, is this thing that I'm considering starting or building, is it a good idea? Does it, you know, at some point make economic sense? Do I understand the market and the industry and the competitive dynamics and all the kind of like the business school stuff? And the heart part is, do I understand this problem viscerally? Am I obsessed with it when all of the assumptions I had on paper are going to go wrong? What's like the wellspring of inspiration you come back to where you're like, no, no, like I really 
believe and know in my bones that this is a problem that I'm going to solve because I've faced it in some format personally. And I think what I saw was a lot of folks, I saw a lot of people searching for businesses to start and you can whiteboard all you want. And I think what happens or what can happen is that the, the first minute your assumptions go wrong, it's really hard to go, you know, to keep climbing the mountain uh, and, and your assumptions will definitely be wrong because um, you don't learn anything until you really get into the guts of talking to real customers and trying to deliver them a product and then trying to get them to pay for it. And the flip is like the hard piece of it, you know, oftentimes when people convert their hobbies into businesses and, and it depends on everyone's personal motivations, but a lot of times those are really difficult to make into, you know, large generational iconic businesses. And so for me, it's always been your head and your heart have to align to, I think, really kind of sustain yourself through the ups and downs and the journeys of entrepreneurship. And I think that's probably like one of the biggest lessons along the way that probably a lot of connecting the dots in, in retrospect. So I think for sure, like a pretty traditional business education, but I think that, you know, every entrepreneur, myself included, has their own sort of sequence of events that, that kind of, for me, for me, at least there was a sequence of events that brought those two things together. Yeah. And, and so your story, um, your story began in a pharmacy. Is that right? The heart part of my story began in a pharmacy. <laughs> and the head part? <laughs> the head part probably, I think, as you mentioned, like the head part probably began when I was a kid and just, you yeah. know, watching Maria Bartiromo on, you know, on the closing bell every, every day at four or five when I got home from school. But the, the head part, you know, was really, I had spent the early part of my career as an investor and really understanding markets and businesses and business models. And, and so the ability to kind of dissect what I've come to now learn is probably the most complicated, archaic, opaque industry in America, which is the pharmacy business. And so the ability to really understand, like, what is the opportunity here? And why has this been such a terrible consumer experience for so long? And, and then what can you do about that? And the hard part is knowing viscerally that there is a, uh, there is a problem here and that consumers are really frustrated by having, you know, a, a, an experience that they interact with, you know, multiple times a month that hasn't changed in 50 or 100 years. And so how do you bring those two things together? The, the deep-seated conviction that the classic, like there has to be a better way with how do I make this into a business that can sustain itself for, you know, many, many, many generations. Yeah, I want to talk more about um, the, the pharmacy industry and what you've been challenging there. But first, for folks who might not know, why don't you just give us a little description of, of Capsule? Tell us, um, tell us what you set out to do and where, where Capsule is now. Capsule is the simplest, easiest, and best way to get and manage your medications directly from your phone. Uh, we offer free same-day delivery through our uh, iPhone app or our website, uh, price transparency. Uh, you can chat or text with a pharmacist whenever and however you want. Uh, and we make sure we coordinate with your doctor. And so the brand and the experience is based on the idea that if your mom was a pharmacist and there was only one person in the world that she needed to take care of and it was you, what would that interaction look like? And that's what we've really built the whole business around. She would make sure you knew about how to take your medication. You could text her with questions. She'd make sure you got the best price. She'd make sure you never ran out. Um, and of course she'd bring it you know, right to your door. And digitizing that idea has always been the driving force of the consumer experience and the brand and what we set out to do in the early days. And since then, 
what we've done is built out this really powerful underlying technology platform to help connect not only the consumer, but to solve problems for the doctor and the hospital and the insurance company and the drug company and everybody else that touches the pharmacy every time, you know, either you or I engage with it. And it turns out that everybody in the healthcare system has a really high friction and frustrating experience uh, with the pharmacy. So we built out a, a lot of tools to help solve everyone's problem. Interesting. And so the, the part of your company that interacts with doctors and hospitals, is that supposed to be your mom also, or is that a different persona? <laughs> Uh, it can be your mom. It's the same translation. <laughs> you know, the mission, our, our core brand value and the mission of the business has been to build, the mission of the business is to build a pharmacy that works for everyone. And that, of course, means every consumer, but it means also everybody else that touches the pharmacy. And one of our two company values and what the brand is really all about is that everybody needs some looking after sometimes. And, and that's really the motivating force for how we make decisions at Capsule and what we decide to build. And, how we position the brand and, and how we interact with everybody, whether it's your doctor, whether it's a consumer, whether it's a health system, you know, everybody does need some looking after sometimes uh, to help them be more successful. Especially this year, right? Um, I, I, I don't mean to make fun of the your mom thing because it, it's fascinating. You know, I, I notice on your company's about page, a lot of the messaging is about caring. The words care or caring appeared five times just on that one page alone. And it just struck me that that is such a far cry from most of the other like push a button on your phone and get the thing you want companies, right? Like it's it, even the most frequent Uber is never going to say that Uber, the company cares about them, right? <laughs> The the insight that we learned is that capsule isn't about delivery, and that isn't the problem to solve. It's that every part of engaging with the pharmacy is high friction, whether it's my medication's out of stock, whether it's I don't know what the price is, whether it's nine o'clock at night and I'm about to take this medication and I don't know whether I should drink. I don't remember if the doctor said take with food or don't take with food, or I took my medication and now my leg is you know kind of getting numb, like what should I do? And those are all of the things that are really frustrating about the pharmacy. And so that's, that's the problem we set out to solve is that you need somebody in your corner that's got your back that can help you with anything that's going on with your healthcare, whether that's, you know, about your meds or whether it's about your insurance, you know, why was this 50 bucks last time? And now it's a hundred bucks. And that's really the thing. And so, you know, I think everything's going to get delivered at the push of a button, but that's not really the magic of capsule and why people love it. So, you know, you've spoken in the past about looking at an industry with fresh eyes um, and asking questions about why something exists and how it exists like a five-year-old would, which I really like as an idea, you know, um, what even is a drugstore? Why does it sell candy and cleaning supplies and blood pressure medication? And why are they on every corner? And if you encounter something that raises so many simple questions like that, it can kind of mean one of two things. Either you're looking at an industry that is ripe for disruption or one that has a rigid and deep bureaucracy and regulations in place that are keeping it that way. You kind of found both, right? Um, I, I'm curious how you began trying to crack into the industry and what regulatory hurdles you were faced with. Definitely both. Um, hasn't changed in 50 or 100 years and is, you know, uh, is a, a pretty, I would say, calcified industry structure in terms of both regulatorily and all of the other people in the ecosystem. It's funny, I had never thought about it until just now, but if I connect the dots of my own life, it, it, it's kind of starting with this like, you know, as a teenager entrepreneur building websites in the first internet boom, you've seen three waves of e-commerce, you've seen three waves of digital commerce. And the first was in this like 
mid to late nineties, where it was the first time where anybody could buy something online and you would have like a dial up modem and you're like, wow, this is amazing. I don't have to go to a store. There's infinite selection. I can see the price. I don't have to interact with a human and somebody will bring me this thing in you know, seven days. And you ended up in this period where like every category that you could think about became online. And so there was this time period where you had like lampshades.com and greenmugs.com and, and sort of everything came online in this like very niche way. And then so you then had this like second wave of e-commerce come, which was how do we take all of these commodity products and build brands on top of them and harness the power of the internet to connect directly with consumers. Uh, and so this is, these are businesses that, you know, Warby Parker, I think is probably like the iconic business in this category, but you've got things in luggage and razors and mattresses and a bunch of other places. And then you've kind of seen that get really sort of every category has sort of been like Warby Parker at this point. And so when you kind of step back and you think about, gosh, like what's left online, it's basically three things. It's financial services, it's real estate, and it's healthcare. And they have those two characteristics that you just mentioned. They're big, they're really high trust, they're emotional, they're regulated, and you can't eliminate, you can't eliminate the human. You actually need to integrate the human. And so you need a different operating model. You need a different technology platform. You need a different company culture to bring those things online because of all of these things, because they're human, because they're regulated. So the first thing that I started doing, honestly, after asking all of those five whys, like a five-year-old, I, I literally was just like, is this even possible? Like, can you do this? Are you allowed to do this? And it turns out that, you know, 70% of independent pharmacies, like your mom and pop pharmacy, they deliver and they've been delivering for 50 years. And even when you think back to like the, what, like an old school pharmacy, you know, looks like that, that, that has existed for a long time. What hasn't existed is bringing that into the modern age uh, to do that. And so I think what we've tried to do is, is really, we, we've taken the approach that to, to change something as big and slow moving as healthcare, you need to first kind of operate inside of it and really understand every nook and cranny of like where there's opportunity. And as you get bigger and bigger and you understand, I think you put yourself in a position to then change some of that rigidity and inflexibility and, uh, and, and calcification over time. But that perhaps if you attack it directly head on, um, you might fall flat on your face. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fascinating to, you know, I, I can just imagine you like trying to start a tech company that also sells controlled substances, right? Like how do you start? Like you're like, I'm a, I'm a, you first have to be a pharmacy or what, what did you start out? What did, what did you register first? The first, so the first thing is we, you know, understood of what's the consumer pain point. Um, and then we quickly learned that it wasn't just the consumer. It was the doctor and the hospital and the insurance company and the drug company. Uh, and we and we tried to really understand what do consumers care about? How do they engage with pharmacies? What would make this totally delightful and magical? And we decided to do that. You need to rebuild the entire thing from the ground up. You need to rebuild the pharmacy. You need to rebuild the pipes and platform that power the pharmacy. And of course, you need to rebuild the consumer experience. And the first thing we did was we built we built a pharmacy. It was me in a room in the financial district. Uh, you know, we work by myself. And then it was me in a room, you know, by myself in the financial district with four million bucks. And, <laughs> uh, and and so we started, you know, the first thing to build a pharmacy, you need a pharmacist. Uh, and so was really fortunate to reconnect with an old friend who 
is a really wonderful pharmacist. Her name is Sonia. And, um, and so she joined the team uh, and, and we started building out um, our, our first pharmacy, which was at 25th and 6th uh, in, in Chelsea. And, uh, and we built that up from scratch. And then we started building the brand and the team and the technology platform that powers everything. But the first, um, the first thing we did was, was, was built the pharmacy. And I think through that process of building from scratch, we learned everything about the industry because we, you know, we had relatively fresh eyes around, okay, now we're in it and we're, we're getting the regulatory approvals and we're engaging with the insurance companies and we're buying drugs from drug wholesalers and we're doing all these things and we're understanding, gosh, like, why are these things all like, why are these things this way? Like, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah, how do we make these things better and simpler and easier for people? Uh, and so it's kind of through that journey of, of starting from scratch that uh, we gain really deep both industry insight, but also really deep consumer and, and kind of broader, broader customer insight. When we come back, I'll talk to Eric about fundraising and scaling. But first, a quick break. You have raised just a totally massive amount of funding. Am I right? $270 million? Yeah. Is that still the correct number? Great. What's What's been your approach from the early days to now um, on, about fundraising and scaling the company? The most important thing for us has been to, to identify and find people who are totally aligned with the long-term vision of the business. Um, and I think that that has been really, really important because I think that builds high trust relationships between us and our investors and and I think that then enables you to have these like really authentic conversations where you have people who are in your camp who want your business to be incredibly successful and that can really push the team um, to think about things maybe in ways that, you know, we just don't have the perspective because we're in, you know, one, we're focused on one thing, which is, you know, capsule and making capsule as successful as possible. And I think investors have the opportunity to look across a portfolio of things. And so being able to learn from folks has been, you know, really, really valuable. But I think that can only happen when you have a high degree of trust with your investors. And that can only happen uh, when folks are really values aligned and, and vision aligned. And so I think about it the same way you think about recruiting the team, which is people have to be values aligned uh, from, from the very top. And then everything can flow from there. But if you're not values aligned, it's really hard. Um, it's really hard for everything else to, to fall into place. Yeah. What's what's one major thing that you've learned from an investor or that that they've a piece of advice they've given you that um, that's helped you along the way? Probably the biggest thing from the early days uh, was to focus on the team and the culture and the values. And and I think it's something that has served me well as a leader, but has served the company well. Because I, I just I remember in the like day one, day two, like day, day three, where you have an, a, a thousand things to do to get your business off the ground. And it feels like a luxury at that point to sort of sit back and really think about what are the values? What are the, what is the company culture going to be as a starting point? How is that going to evolve? And, and I think it, I think it really guides everything you do. If you can get really specific and focused on what are the values of the company early? Because those are the those are heuristics for decision making that that everybody uses as as the company grows. And so I think just spending time 
codifying those, getting those right, and then actually using them to make decisions um, on on who we bring on the team and what are we at, what are we going to do and what are we not going to do uh, are, are probably that that's probably that was probably the biggest it, it's probably the biggest thing that's been foundational. I think our investors are you know incredibly thoughtful, and so I've learned a tremendous amount from them over over the last five five and a half years. Uh, but that's probably the thing that is the earliest compounded the most. Let's talk about this this year and the pandemic. What was what was the immediate effects um, on on business for you um, on Capsule come March? March was, uh, I'm sure, like for many companies, March was insane, and so we, you know, pretty quickly as the pandemic started to to really, when it became apparent it was going to start rifling through New York, the the first thing we did is we took, you know, the, the folks on the team that were able to work remotely, you know, put everyone uh, remote. And then we spent, you know, a lot of our energy just making sure our team that was on the front lines, supporting New Yorkers and getting their medications and making sure there was an, a safe, uninterrupted way to do that, that, that the team was safe and healthy and had, you know, protective equipment and the pharmacy was a safe working environment. Um, and we saw just this crazy surge in, in demand in the back half of March and in, you know, and through April and, and early May. Uh, you know, not unlike all of the stories that were about if this pace of toilet paper consumption continues, you know, there will be like no toilet paper left in the world in, you know, four months. Like we saw a similar level of demand that, that obviously was, you know, two things. One, it was just people that had already been using capsule wanting to make sure that they had medications. But we actually saw, you know, more people try capsule for the first time ever in, you know, in the spring uh, because it was you know, it was, it was kind of the perfect product for, for that time. And it went from something that was a convenience to something that was really essential. So you're in four cities now, and I'm curious how, how you see the future of, of expanding to new cities and whether, um, with your career model, you know, whether you could operate in rural areas, is there, is there anywhere where you've tested it out or, or what's your model for, for scaling further? So we're live in in a pretty broad part of New York. Uh, so we serve the five boroughs. We serve parts of New Jersey. Uh, we serve all of Westchester County. Uh, we're out in some of the parts of Connecticut. Uh, so New York's pretty broad. We're uh, live up and running in Boston and Minneapolis uh, and Chicago. And then uh, you can expect a, a number of other places later this year as well. And they all, you know, every every city and every geography looks a little bit different. Uh, and and so I'd say just within New York, there are so many different pockets. I mean, you know, when we when we serve folks that live in in, in Westchester, that looks different from people that we serve in Queens, out by you know where JFK Airport is. That looks different from you know folks that live in you know on the Upper West Side. And so I think already within New York, we've got a bunch of different micro geographies to do that. Um, don't think there are don't think there are a lot of places in America that uh, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't scale to. I'm sure there are some pretty remote places uh, where where it doesn't make sense to. But I think for the vast majority of of the U.S., um, the model makes sense, and consumers need it and deserve it. Yeah, and how does how does the business work for um, from your side? I mean, it, I assume the delivery costs something. That's got to be the expensive part for you, right? Do you build that to insurance companies, or is this something that you're just funding through the venture capital that you've raised so far and hoping it works? Well, it already works, uh, which is which is good, and so we're we're now in in the mode where you know we've really proven out the model in New York. 
we've proven out the model in the markets we launched uh, you know, late spring. Just because the pandemic wasn't crazy enough, we decided we would also <laughs> start launching markets and support local communities there. Um, and, and we should talk more about, you know, one of, one of the things that, one of the things that we did in New York that was really interesting is, is we started to partner with local governments on the ground, you know, particularly in New York and, and partnering with, you know, the city on senior well check programs and, and making sure that people really felt safe and comfortable. And, and I think decided that we could bring what we learned in New York, helping with the pandemic because New York was the epicenter of it to places that were maybe a little bit behind the curve on where New York was um, to do that. And that's how we kind of picked those first, those first markets to go into. And, you know, in terms of delivery, we, we have vertically integrated the entire, the entire experience. So everything from the couriers, which are background checked and drug tested and HIPAA trained to the pharmacy, which we build and own and operate to customer service, to the entire software platform. And that lets us be, you know, a lot more efficient than uh, walking into your traditional corner pharmacy. And so there's a bunch of different places where, where the economics are, are pretty different from your kind of your corner pharmacy. That's fascinating. I, I'm curious, um, how do you think that the, the pandemic is going to change the healthcare industry um, for the longer term? I mean, you've seen you've seen a dramatic shift this year that's been obviously good for your business. But what do you what do you see happening in, in five years? How will we look at it differently? I think the biggest thing is that overnight, the healthcare system digitized everything from, you know, the pen and paper in the doctor's office to sitting in a waiting room to like seeing a doctor, uh, you know, to paying your bill, like, like this entire journey that people go on, going to the pharmacy, waiting in line in a pharmacy, you know, all of these things just dramatically overnight got thrown out the window and, and everybody that operates and is in healthcare had to re-examine how they think about their consumer flows and think about the consumer journey and what does it look like to build something that's purely digital. And so, my expectation of what we're seeing today is probably more than ever before is seeing a lot of demand from partners across the healthcare landscape to partner with capsule because we've spent a lot of time operating digital first building and thinking about how to perfect that end-to-end experience and my expectation is that that only accelerates uh, as more and more you know traditional healthcare companies think about how do we serve our consumers and our customers in a in a digital first world. Um, I think people that tried, whether it's telemedicine, whether it's digital pharmacy, um, tried those, those products for the first time during the pandemic, um, if they had a good experience with it, will continue using it. Uh, and we're certainly seeing that in our business that you know the people that used Capsule for the first time in March and April and May are, are, actually, are actually using Capsule more than people um, who might have uh, signed up before then because they had a great experience at a time that, you know, they were really vulnerable and needed it. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Um, now, you you said earlier that there are places that Capsule wants to go that that you're not to yet. W- what are those places? The the pharmacy is the most frequent thing that any of us will do in healthcare. Like multiples more often than we go to our doctor, we engage with the pharmacy and maybe almost back to the ability 
for the pharmacy to help guide and the pharmacist to help guide a lot of different things that you do in healthcare is is really big. And so I think no, no doubt we've got a lot of, you know, we've got a lot to do just in expanding and bringing what we've built in York and Chicago and Boston and Minneapolis, you know, everywhere across the country. But I think there's a big opportunity to harness that natural engagement that exists with pharmacy to help solve other problems in people's, you know, healthcare journeys and their healthcare lives. Like what else is high friction in healthcare? Um, and how do we, and how do we support not only the consumer to do that, but how do we help the doctor and the hospital and the insurance company, the drug company be more successful um, in, in supporting the consumer and doing that? Interesting. Like what, what do you mean in specific? Uh, there's lots of things. One example would be we launched over the counter products uh, in our, you know, in our app and our consumer experience uh, at the end of last year. Uh, we learned from our consumers, hey, we love using capsule, but gosh, like I have an allergy medication that isn't a prescription and I would rather not go to the pharmacy to, to get those. You know, can you help curate a set of those? Can you help recommend those? And then can you, you know, bring it to my house? And so that's something we built out. And I think there's a, a number of other things that would be very natural to do uh, in inside of inside of the capsule experience. Oh, got it. So you get your you know sinus allergy medication. You could add on some cough drops or some Advil or whatever. Is that is that something that you yeah, also you just deliver? In, yeah. yeah, you can add in cough drops or Advil, but you can you know you can add in like Allegra or you know anything else that's that's medically relevant um, on the over the counter side. Uh, I think it wouldn't be crazy, you know, to to see a doctor, you know. Um, through capsule at some point. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think there's a bunch of things that are, are pretty natural extensions of, of what we've done. And, and I think we will do a lot of that, you know, in partnership with other parts of the healthcare system. Uh, so how do we, how are we actually helping insurance companies take better care of their members? Um, how are we making sure we continue to drive medication adherence uh, so that people are not only getting their medications, but they're taking them and getting their refills and they understand the side effects of those things. Uh, so I think there's a number of things that can kind of come through that. Yeah, that's fascinating. You, you talked about um, the company's mission being super important from the early days, but how important is branding? Um, in New York City, you kind of think of a drugstore, corner store, like a utility. They're just like there. They're on every corner. They don't have any kind of branding, really. I mean, you, you might recognize their name. You might not. Um, but is that something that that can sort of changes changes the experience or uh, to I mean you're you're not just having a consumer walk into a, a random corner store now you're you're coming onto their phones you're coming up to their doors um, as capsule. I, I think brand and culture are synonymous. I think brand is the external manifestation of your company's culture and your company's values. And so our two values at Capsule that comprise our culture one is everybody needs some looking after sometimes. And the second is winning together. And those, those are the, we kept it really simple, the two values. Um, and I think brand is, you know, I think it's, for us, we think about brand, there's sort of certainly like, what do you look like? And that's, I think maybe a lot of people think about that's brand, like what's the design, what's the, what's the font, like all that stuff. I think that's like a really small part of like what your brand is. And then there's basically sort of, what do you say? And that's your tone of voice and, you know, what's the, What's the language you use? And I think that's important as well. Um, but then there's how you act. And that, that's the core of your brand. Uh, and so every interaction that we have with our customers, whether that's in person with the messenger dropping off their medications, whether that's uh, how someone responds to your text message, whether that's how someone answers your question on the phone, whether that's what 
what the app feels like um, because apps can generate a feeling uh, and they should generate a feeling. And, and for, in, in our case, you know, the app should make you feel looked after and cared for and loved. And there's lots of ways of, of, of doing that. But to, to me, that's, that's what, that's what creates, you know, really iconic brands over many, many, many years is that it's how you act um, and it's how you show up. I, I think the other stuff matters, but it's really day in, day out. What does it feel like to use this product and this experience? And at Capsule, we think about that product experience as being really expansive. Um, it's not just what's on my phone and what am I clicking through. It's not just, you know, how, how do I feel when the person uh, on the phone is helping me, you know, solve my problems. It's how does all of that stitch together that creates the brand and the culture of the of business. So it's, it's really important. But those two things for me are, are really together. Yeah. So it's, it sounds like you are really, you are trying to build a big, long lived company here. You're not building capsule just to, to sell, to sell it. Or I mean, maybe to, maybe you'd IPO someday. What's the, what's the end goal? The end goal is to continue solving problems for consumers and the healthcare system and making it, you know, easier, safer, better, healthier for people to engage um, with all of their healthcare needs and to help everybody that's involved in that do that more successfully. And so you're spot on, I, we, you know, my goal is that capsule is, is generational and that people are using it for a very, very long time and that we're continuing to solve problems for them. Thank you so much, Eric, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Talking with Eric, I'm struck by the considered messaging of his company. Yes, it's a delivery service for drugs, but Capsule has cracked into a creaky, old, fascinating, and complicated industry, and they've had to navigate the regulation and challenges of distribution. But as he notes, healthcare isn't and can't be a cold tech-only experience. It's emotional and highly personal. Very early on, he realized that to modernize a fragment of healthcare, he'd need to bring the human into his platform. And his message was all about care. Eric said the guiding principle for Capsule is to imagine your mom is a pharmacist and how she would take care of you. I can't help but think Eric's childhood, looking up to his entrepreneur mother, was going to be embedded in any startup idea he had. Eric successfully connected the heart to the head. And that's something we can all learn from. What I Know is a production of Inc. Magazine. If you're a new listener, welcome. Please hit subscribe to What I Know so you don't miss our next episodes. If you have a friend interested in startups, entrepreneurship, or evolving as a leader, please send them a link to our show. Also, we'd love it if you could leave us some stars and a review on Apple Podcasts. It just takes a moment, and it really helps other people who'd love this podcast find us. You can drop us a note anytime at whatiknowatinc.com. Whose story do you want to hear on our show? You can also let me know on Twitter, at Legorio. Our producer who swears that unlike Eric, he has never been alone in a room in the financial district with a bunch of drugs and four million bucks, is Joshua Christensen. 
I'm Christine Legorio-Chapkin. Thank you for listening to What I Know. 